1: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Greetings and welcome to episode two of the Believe Nicks podcast. I'm your co host, Matthew Miranda, joined as always by the illustrious Stacey Patton. Stacey, how are you doing this morning?
0: Uh, doing okay.
1: Very good. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, another tough loss. There have been a lot of them. Um, last night was one of the more, I don't know, frustrating in a lot of different ways. Um, we'll talk about that. The Knicks had um, a difficult matchup against Chicago and were a little shorthanded, became a bit more shorthanded after uh, the officials decided that Taj Gibson had to go early. Um, we'll discuss kind of a lot of things from the game in general. Um the first thing that I wanted to just ask you about, Stacy, um, both teams—they've had really interesting games this year—and um, it, it pains me deeply to admit that the off-season pundits were correct, and like Chicago's just good. They're much better than I thought they would be. Um, one of the things interesting looking at the game last night, just from a minutes distribution, is that both teams basically went with like six and a half, seven-man rotations, like. Other people played, but in terms of minutes, um, it was pretty condensed down for both teams. It was more like what you would see from a playoff game um, than a regular season game. Are you surprised from the Nick end that with Barron out and eventually Taj Gibson ejected, and I don't think Nerlins Noel was available either, are you surprised that Thibodeau shortened the rotation that much? Or do you feel like, yeah, that makes sense given that he was shorthanded and always wants to win every game?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I think um, he, he actually he did play a couple of guys. Um, you know, when, when he did play a couple of guys, he normally doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kevin Knox had a cameo, hit a three, um, but you saw why Kevin Knox doesn't play. Uh, he got back cut by Alex Caruso. Um, he gave up two offensive rebounds on a pretty back breaking possession late in the first half. Um, I would have liked to see a little more Quentin Grimes. Um, I thought he was reasonably good in his minutes there um and and the knicks i I don't even think the knicks perimeter defense was terrible um when you look at quickly and burks they had their their hiccups um you know i thought quickly actually did a pretty good job on levine um when levine did score it seemed to be a lot of tough shots you know just superstar making plays um but i thought they executed reasonably well Uh, derozan they did not do a great job on given his skill set um i think they You know, he's. it's one thing to say, um, you know, we'll live with mid-range jumpers, but they were often giving him a lot of space. He did make some tough shots, too, but that's an area where I think Grimes could have helped. Um, But I don't watch Grimes in practice every day, and from what we've seen, I've been very encouraged. I think he gives the Knicks, um, you know, quickly is a good defender, but Grimes gives you more size. Uh, and Burks is a very good defender, but uh, Grimes gives you more speed than him, Um, and he's very good at hopping passing lanes. Um, So I would have... That was the one thing that surprised me, is that with Barrett out and with how much Tibbs seems to like size in the perimeter, Grimes didn't get more playing time. Uh, The Knox minutes seemed like Tibbs was frustrated, Um, maybe wanted to send a message. But in general, they played 10 guys. Um, They played seven guys more than 15 minutes, so, you know... um, that was part of it. And then I think that you would have probably, and then if you look at the minutes totals, I mean, Mitch had 29, um, you know, but the other ones were reasonably in line quickly at 38, but obviously with, right. um, with the bear it out that that's to be expected. Um, and, and you, the last thing is Taj got ejected, right? So if Taj, um, if Taj plays, he probably takes some minutes from OB and Randall. um, I think Mitch was pretty important to that second half comeback, but he was gassed at the end. Uh, and that would made a clear difference. Uh, you know, Prez, Presidente just highlighted a late clip. Uh, Vooch killed the Knicks on pick and pop all night, but there was a couple of egregious examples of Mitch just not reacting in time. Uh, the play I'm talking about was a tie game and Chicago hit a three to go up three. Um, and the real miss by Mitch was Levina picked up his dribble to pass uh, quickly. You had, basically cut off the drive, plus Mitch was shading. At that point, you have to immediately close out. Um, And it wasn't like he missed the closeout by inches or a split second. He missed it by, he was just frozen. um, And he was just super late getting out there. Um, So that's where you maybe would have said, you know, if Todd had been able to spell him earlier, or if Todd just had been in the game, those are the kinds of things. Um, But other than Grimes, there's not really anyone you could have thought Tibbs would play. Um, you know, uh, Wayne Selden hasn't been part of the rotation. Um, I personally believe with Kemba, it's not just performance related. I think that for him, at least in part, um, they probably want to give him time to fully get as healthy as he can uh, if they do want to use him at some point. Uh, and um, quickly, and Burks had poor shooting nights, but um, you know. Their defense, you know, wherever the Knicks were already struggling on perimeter defense, Kemba was likely to exacerbate that. So I understand what he to play. And then, yeah, Deuce McBride is um, was in Westchester last night, had a pretty good performance. So I wasn't super surprised with anything but perhaps a lack of minute for Crutton Grimes. The Bulls personnel, uh, as far as the bench, I know less, but they did play nine guys. Um, six of them played about 30. Um but, you know, they got Io DeSomno and Derek Jones and Troy Brown in there. Um, so it's an eight-man rotation. It's tighter than you'd expect, but they were also missing Kobe White. Um, it is interesting that they didn't play Tony Bradley. Uh, I don't see that he was injured or anything. Um, because he is their, besides Vucci's their only big. Uh, and they played some really super small lineups. There was one in the fourth quarter where I think Derek Jones was functionally their center. Yeah. Uh, and he's about six seven and, and pretty skinny. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. I wonder if we'll see that in the playoffs. I don't know if they'd be able to do that against a team like, you know, like the Bucks or something. Um, but, um, but yeah, as far as Chicago, it seemed to work for them. Um, I think they're they're very confident in their ability to scramble and switch on the perimeter and force turnovers. And um, that's probably why they felt they didn't need to go the traditional big. And with Taj getting ejected and the Knicks themselves often going small or more than Tibbs likes to. Um, you know, I, I understand.
1: Let me ask you about Mr. Robinson, who has um, been, a, for me, a curious performer this year, obviously coming off of an injury. And, you know, he, he clearly put on a lot of muscle at a time when he wasn't able to play. So I'm guessing that his upper body is heftier than it's been. And as his legs are trying to recover and get back into NBA shape, They're carrying weight that they haven't had before. So there's going to be probably a, you know, a transitional conditioning period for Mitchell Robinson. But from what you've seen so far this year, do you think, I haven't seen those Mitchell Robinson plays where you're like, holy shit, like that's Mitchell Robinson. Is that you think, you know, he's coming off of, you know, a foot injury and he's still getting into shape and like, you know, it takes time to react to that. Do you think There's something more problematic going on. Like We're we're about a quarter of the way. We're more than a quarter of the way into the season now. And Mitchell Robinson looks like a center, but not Mitchell Robinson from the past couple of years to me. What do you see when you've seen him this year?
0: Yeah, um, I think he kind of hit the nail on the head. Uh, By his own admission, he has said that he's not 100%. Uh, I don't know if he's referring to conditioning or injury rehab or uh, some combination of the two. Um, but I think the weight gain has made him just a mobile center mm-hmm. as opposed to a – I used to say he's a center that moves like a wing. Uh, even then, there were some people who disagreed with me, but I really felt like – and but what you, when you say I haven't seen Mitchell Robinson plays, the big thing I think to me, and you know, correct me if you're thinking of something else even, is – you haven't seen, I don't think he's blocked a single three pointer this year. Yep. Uh, that was something he was known for. He struggled um, on the
1: perimeter. I feel like when he started Mitch on the perimeter, that was part of his excitement, was like, this guy can be. And now I've heard it in a lot of broadcasts being like, well, Mitchell Robinson struggling on the perimeter. That's news to me.
0: Yeah. No, it's, and it's, uh, it happened in the Nets game too. Uh, he used to be a guy that could switch onto even the best perimeter players and put them in a box, right? And I remember early last game, Harden hit a step back three. And yeah, I mean, do you want to kill someone for getting beat on a step back three by James Harden? No, but Mitch's just was so, he had to play so far back uh, and he closed out, but I mean, he was, I don't even think his hand got to eye level on, on James Harden there. Um, And especially when you know that move's coming. um, The thing I think is this, right? His mobility, it's not like he's slow now. He is still quick for a center, (laughs) but he was able to get away with bad habits that he improved on last year um that he's no longer able to get to, right? So that play I talked about before where he kind of was late getting out to Vooch in the past, that's still a very intimidating with that 5% extra speed and leaping ability. That's still a very daunting presence for most guys. It either makes them put them on the ball on the floor. It affects the shot. That's he has, he has just, he has very little margin for error now because of that he's got to, Um, And what's frustrating is last year, I think he really did improve in a lot of those areas. He cut down drastically on his fouls um, while still maintaining the ability to deter shots all over the floor. Uh, And I I wonder how much those lack of reps and getting out of that rhythm has also affected him. Um, He's still a young player. He's only 22 or 23, maybe. Um, So it's it's, he's going through it right now. Um, And we'll see. I mean, long term maybe this is a good way for him to be forced to develop those habits, right? Um, you know, like, it's almost like if you break your dominant hand, and then you have to learn to do everything with your left. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of how it is with him having to now focus more on that mental aspects of the game. Uh, I will say in the second half, he was, uh, he he. I saw a lot of the old Mitchell Robinson. Um, you know, um, he, he, was, he was much more active on the perimeter. He was getting he was more focused. I think that's been an issue often for Mitch. Um, but that then that's where the conditioning comes in and they were able to attack him late in the game. He got a couple of bad fouls. Um, so you know, to, to sum it up, he just has much less margin for error mentally now, um, which I think he can improve with tips coaching and, you know, the other thing is, I think it'll help him to when the other centers get healthy because he is someone that should be subbed out frequently, keep his energy up. Um, the other thing I'll say is, um, his rebounding has been really good. I think the weight gain has actually helped him there. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't get moved off his spots and he's able to constantly be in the fight. So that's something you like to see. Um, but again, the conditioning can hurt them sometimes critically late in games where um, you know there was one maybe it wasn't even late in the game against the nets but he had he was built down below the rim and because the, the nets had switched or they were just playing small personnel he had patty mills and cam thomas to six four shorter guys near the rim and he allowed cam thomas to get that board um and you know you can say well he should have been more physical you can say he should have jumped higher but whatever it is it's clearly like he's not 100 percent at that point maybe he's tired. Um, and that's something that's been unavoidable because uh, Tibbs is still reticent to play a OB with Randall or, or just go small. And, you know, Todd Gibson, New Orleans Noel um, have been out tonight. Even Jericho Sims was out. Um, but uh, but yeah, they need more from Mitch. Uh, they need it more consistently and they need to help him out a little bit, too, um, with uh, with some of the, the subs. And I think that it's, it's sad to see because before the season, most people would have said, you know, if you can get him four for 52, four for 60 even, that's probably a no-brainer. Yep. Uh, now he's, he's hurting himself with his payday. Um, so, um, you know, definitely something to monitor. I do think it's a little bit worse for him than it is for the Knicks. I think they have options. I thought Jericho Sims looked really good the last game he played. You know what you're going to get from Taj um, when he, you know, I thought he was pretty solid on his rotations. Got a couple of, I think, questionable illegal screens calls that yeah. got him tossed out. Uh, and then Nose Noel is, you know, he again, he's he can be disappointing on offense, but, um, you know, he gives you some of that perimeter mobility that Mitch is currently lacking. Um, and then the last thing is, um, you know, I, I really hope Obi and Randall are able to prove what they have to Tibbs off on defense because that is a lineup that is extreme that has been extremely effective on offense. They've struggled to rebound. Um, but I think that also would help A, you know, keep Mitch fresh, but B, uh, you know, force teams to prepare for multiple looks. And that's something the that Knicks didn't really have last year.
1: You mentioned Randall and you mentioned the officiating and last night was at least I think the third game in a row that Mike Breen, who is infamously pro referee, was vocally disappointed in the officiating, um, thought the Taj Gibson ejection was absurd. But as far as Randall goes, what I want to ask you about with the officiating, its I don't have any interest in whether Randall should or should not complain. Everybody has issues at their job, and everybody reacts to things in different ways, and that's fine. I'm just curious if you think do you think Randall seems more put out by the officiating than you would like to see or do you think maybe this is an emerging kind of star player and he's probably trying to negotiate his place you know with the officials because Julius Randall 2 years ago was not you know a great he didn't have a great resume and now he's this all NBA I mean, are you troubled by how bothered Randall clearly seems to be by the officiating? Or do you feel like, look, this is what happens when players step into that role. He's, he's finding his place with them.
0: Yeah. Um, so there's, there's quite a bit to unpack there. Um, so I'll, I'll, um, I'll say a couple of things. Number one, um, we, we've seen this with other stars, um, right? With every star. Uh, Carmelo Anthony was notorious for not having a very good relationship with the officials. Um, as far as Julius, I think you can also see. So, it, I think it, beyond just being a star, he, the, you know, what he said with the officials, um, you know, it was a little bit out of context. But I think the point they were trying to make is that it is difficult to officiate players like him because they because they are stronger, right? Um, and that what he had said was that they don't call fouls on him because he's stronger than everyone else. I'm skeptical that's what the referees actually said. Right. Um, my, my guess is like, you know, they're saying, you know, be a little understanding. It's difficult for us. Um, but here's, um, so, and and I think you've seen that with, with lots of, I mean, Shaq probably got hacked on every play.
1: Right? I did. Shaq got hacked um, a lot.
0: And yeah. And so the, the reality is Randall is either going to be guarded by someone who's smaller than him, which has been happening a lot. The last two, that's not a coincidence that it's boiled over the last two games and it boiled over against Brooklyn last year when he was often being guarded by smaller forwards who are going to have to play physically to, to make up for that difference. Um, But, um, and and then Chicago did the same thing. Uh, So that's part of it. Uh, The other thing I'll say is, so this year, if you look at, so last year um, Randall had a career year, but he only took 16% of his shots at the rim. Part of that was point guard issues. Part of that was uh, spacing issues. We, we, you know, we, we can get into that. But this year, they have better spacing. Uh, So for his career, he takes 38% of his shots within three feet. And actually, early in his career, it was consistently in the 40s. Uh, And he was used more as a role man. His role has evolved. Um, But this year, he's back up to about 28% of his shots at the rim. But his free throw rate has actually gone down. Um, Last year, he was at 33%. This year, he's just under 30%. He's at 29%. And for his career, again, he's at 37%. And this is a career low in terms of free throw rate. Um, so it does seem like there is a lot of contact that's going on called part of that, may be the rule changes. But again, those rule changes were designed for, you know, people foul baiting, right? Whereas for Randall, it's mostly good hard drives. And I think, you know, he, I think there was a stat I saw yesterday, he hasn't taken a three pointer or made a three pointer since I don't think he's made a three pointer since November twenty third, uh, which is alarming for multiple reasons. Um, he didn't take one last night but I think part of that is he's making a concerted effort to get all the way to the hole, which is something we've wanted to see. I think we'd like them to come more at the ben- at the expense of mid-range shots, but he's also been doing a better job of late passing the ball because I think he realizes, you know, when he attacks the paint um, and he can eat up space and get to 12, 14 feet, that makes him a lot more dangerous, not just as a shooter, but as a passer. So I think that's where a lot of the frustration is coming from. Um, as far as whether it's concerning or not, um, for me, what I'll say is this, he didn't get fined. Um, I think, um, you know, there definitely seems to be a little bit of bad blood between the refs and the Knicks. I think Todd was some collateral damage on that because Mm -hmm. for him to get two technicals back to back, usually after one tech, the player carries on a little bit and the ref will be like, okay, I've warned you give them a chance to compose themselves. But he, the, the ref just had a quick trigger. Right. Um, so that could be a little bit where you know, Julius disclosed what the refs had said to him. They probably didn't like that. Um, but I'm not worried so much about his relationship with the refs. or you know, That's something that I think a lot of people brought up with Melo. For me, he, he is someone who thrives off of positive energy and for whom negative energy is also contagious. When he has a poor shooting night, it affects his defense. When he's frustrated about calls, he's late getting back. And that can't happen, right? Um, you, know, you can talk to the officials after the play, um, you know, but you cannot let it affect the team, not when you're the team leader, um, not, not on a consistent basis, right? You, you see that happen with LeBron sometimes, an isolated play where he's mad and he doesn't get back. Mm-hmm. But those guys aren't doing it consistently or to the level that it affects the team. Uh, and that's more concerning with Julius. Uh, I'm sure Tibbs will talk with him about that. Uh, I think Tibbs himself is a very fiery guy and the team feeds off of that. Um, but to answer your question, um, I'm not super concerned. Um, I think that part of it is gamesmanship, you know, after the, the but the, there, are, there are other teams who handled this better, right? Uh, you know, say what you want about Daryl Morey and his PowerPoint presentations and all of that. But the Knicks are capable of sending tape to the league office and saying, you know, Randall is driving the ball and he's getting hit and he's not getting calls. Right. And just be mindful of that when he's officiated. Um. So and and I think they will. They probably are using back channels to do those kinds of things. Um. But um. But yeah, that's kind of my take on that.
1: I'm curious. Last night, the Knicks were outscored in the first half, sixty nine to fifty one, and then they won the second half, sixty four to fifty. What is? I mean, to me, the obvious issue in the first half was turnovers, um, probably for the whole game. But what was something that you saw that st- stood out to you? in the first half as problematic for the Knicks and what is something that you saw in the second half that you took a positive away from?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, you, you nailed it the first half and really the first quarter turnovers were just a massive issue, right? They, if you look at the first quarter, the Knicks scored 19 points, the last three quarters, they scored 32 in all three of them. Mm -hmm. I think they had 10 or 11 turnovers in the first quarter the rest of the game, they had eight, which is actually pretty decent, right? Yeah. Um, so turnovers were the name of the game. Um, I think you have to give Chicago credit. Um, you know, for the turnovers I can remember from the first half, you had two illegal screens called on Taj where I thought he was set. This is Taj Gibson. It's not a guy who – I think he – does he get wide and stick his leg out a little bit? No, Yeah, but he was set when the screens happened. Uh, but you have to give Caruso credit for you know, fighting to get over those screens and drawing contact. Right? Um, Derek Rose was stripped multiple times on drives. Um, again, have to give Chicago credit. Um, you know they are very handsy, and Rose is not known exactly as a weak ball handler. Right. Uh, I thought Randall's turnovers in the first half, a lot of them were good ideas, um, but the Bulls were capitalizing on. Uh, the Bulls were capitalizing on, uh, you know, they, they have a good, they, they know how to take away your first read uh, and then put you in, in difficult decisions. And all of the Knicks have a, a bad habit of leaving their feet before throwing a pass. Yes. And so Chicago is a team that exploited that once the Knicks settled down, I think they realized that there wasn't really anyone who could defend Randall. Um, there wasn't anyone who they didn't have really very strong pick and roll defense. So the Knicks started going to the hole more. Alec Burks, I think, started off 0 for 4 or so, um, but he ended up with 10 free throws. He only shot 3 for 10, but he got to the line 10 times. Derrick Rose only took 6 shots, but he got to the line 8 times. So I think the Knicks realized that one-on-one, the Bulls really didn't have the ability to guard them without without fouling. Um, So the Knicks only finished with 19 assists last night on 42 made field goals, which isn't a high amount. But they were able to exploit those matchups and it helped them reduce the turnovers um and i think you know so what was encouraging from the second half and really the last three quarters was the knicks settling down and taking it one possession at a time and realizing that on a possession of possession basis this team can't really guard us even late game uh, i thought they were mostly their late game offensive execution i think was better than it has been in the past um, i think the last couple of possessions when they fell behind quickly took an ill advice three and he passed up on one which was an early shot clock bomb that he normally would take but probably late in the game he realizes tibbs might uh, <laughs> might not let me leave the arena alive if that happens but um but overall i actually felt like their late game execution was good and, and defense is they're just chicago's a tough team to guard late in games because of all of their one-on-one guys um but what was encouraging to me was um they realized that, you know, if we cannot run our motion offense the same way i um, sorry, they don't run a motion offense, but what I mean is if they cannot, uh, you know, kind of exploit rotations the same way they normally do uh, and they, you know, and, and Chicago is playing aggressively on the perimeter. So you don't get clean looks from three uh, recognizing that. So I think that's a step. And the other thing I'll say is, um, you know, at halftime going into the break, Randall and Fournier had uh, what some might call a heated discussion. You know, Randall seemed to be yelling at Fournier as the one off the court. Um, Randall was asked about this after the game, and he said, uh, "You know, at the end of the day, we all have each other's back, but you have to be able to communicate as teammates. I thought he gave a very good response, mm-hmm. um, and I, I don't think there's any real bubbling resentment there. It's just um, – but what you saw in the second half was a new, a new Evan Fournier. Um, I've said he's a bellwether for this team. I, I know a lot of people have been down on him because – Particularly finishing at the rim, he's struggled, uh, and he struggled with turnovers. But um, his defense was massive last night. He had four steals. Um, you know, He had some opportunistic traps in the half court. That's a dangerous perimeter team, and I think he held up pretty well. Uh, hit some huge shots. And when he's playing with energy, um, that makes the team go, because that is why they signed him over Reggie Bullock, right? He is a movement shooter, so he can bend defenses in a way that opens things up and forces you to keep track of your man and the ball in a different way. He can also get to the rim and put the ball on the floor. He can pass um, and he can finish. And when he is kind of floating around on the perimeter and watching Julius Randall post up, um, they're just a completely different, you might as well have not even Reggie Bullock, right. You might as well have Kevin Knox out there at that point. So, um, so that was very encouraging to me um, in terms of, of that. And, Um, and yeah, in the second half, Mitchell Robinson was encouraging because he did show that, um, you know, when he's engaged, even a guy like Rooch, he can get out there and, and he can, he can protect the rim and he can do things. Um, what's frustrating is this isn't the first time we've said this, right? Like if they had just played four quarters, when you keep saying that you start to think this is who they are. Right. Um, I will say on, on a, on a rewatch, um, Chicago, Chicago had a lot to do with that bad first quarter. And it's encouraging that the Knicks adjusted, but, um, but they, but there's a difference between Chicago showed you some new looks and cross problems and going down 18 points in a quarter. Those are things, you know, if you, if you have a bad quarter and you you lose by 12 points, you have the opportunity to to get that, that back, but you can't, it's tough to recover from. and, And this isn't the first time that's happened. They, they laid an egg in the third quarter against Brooklyn they, um, you know, they've blown leads. So they have large stretches of games where they're just not reacting quickly enough. And Tibbs likes to leave the same unit in for a long time. Fair or not, um, fair or not. So, um, the other, um, so, so I mean, and I, I made this point on Twitter, but I think it's almost like you know, when you're a kid, your mom tells you, you know, if you have homework due in a week or something, don't push it all to the last minute, right? Or, or get things done ahead of time, and then and that's what we say right you can't just punt away bad halves you can't just punt away you know you don't want to be disrespectful to any team the magic have played a couple of tough teams but you don't want to blow games against teams you should beat um but then it always feels like there are you know you don't listen to your mom and then at 3 a.m you're scrambling to get all your work done and if she's there she's like i told you so and you're like man if i just had a couple of more hours or if i just mm-hmm. um but the, now it's too late, right? And the Knicks have consistently found so people are going to focus on the fact that the Bulls had closers and the the Knicks lacked one. The people focus on that fact with Durant last game. To an extent, that's true. But you also do you don't give yourself any margin for error with those when when you do this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's frustrating because you see the talent the like the last last year when they would play teams like the Nets, I often felt like man the Knicks are playing way over their head just to just to keep it close just to stay in the game but it doesn't really feel like they have a chance whereas this year I don't feel like I feel like they match up in talent they've matched up in talent with every team they've played I would say besides Phoenix it, or it certainly hasn't felt like you, know, you can say that the Bulls have more talented one-on-one scorers but it hasn't felt like a mismatch besides that one game and that mm-hmm. that is the team that could very well win the title mm-hmm. um, but 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 the, you know they, they're inconsistent whereas last year I would have felt like the majority of games Mm-hmm. Probably more than half, you would have said they're at best, even, but often not on that level, and they're playing over their heads. And so, I think a lot of people are saying, you know, well, the Knicks are eleven eleven, you're acting like the sky is falling. But last year, uh, if they were eleven eleven we would' have been happy. and i don't I don't think that's necessarily an excuse because it's not just that we were sold on improved talent. We've seen it. We've seen them play at an extremely high level for large stretches of games. Um, it just feels like, Effort and focus wanes, and for all the criticisms last year's team may have had, that was one thing you could count on. Um, yeah, and it's one thing Tibbs is supposed to be great at, and I'm sure it frustrates him more as much as any more than any of us. So,
1: one of the biggest differences so far between this team and last season is that last year the Knicks were really good at beating up on teams at their level or below, certainly below them. They really picked on teams that had losing records. Um, not the case so much this year. I think last time I checked they were maybe four and four um against teams who had losing records when they played them. When you mentioned that, and you mentioned that in a lot of games they come out in the second half and the third quarter in particular as a struggle. Not that you can just oh it's it's this one thing, there it is, but is that on coaching? Like is there a concern that the Knicks the Thibodeau has a lot of strengths, but our teams may be out coaching the Knicks that they have so many third quarters, especially, or do you think it's more effort? Can it can be a thing where like Tom Thibodeau in year two is maybe not as easy to play under as he was in year one. You know, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't last nine years in places. And I know it's, I'm not at all suggesting, you know, there needs to be a Tibbs watch. I'm just curious, have you seen enough problems in third quarters or with teams that you think the Knicks should handle, that it's making you wonder, you know, we don't usually look at the coaching, especially when the guy won coach of the year last year, but like, maybe that's a concern or maybe not. What do you think?
0: Yeah. Um, I, I'm i not in that locker room. Right. Um, so I'll start with that. Um, I, I don't know that it's that. I don't think there's frustration with Tibbs so much. Uh, I think my frustration is more, I think he sticks with lineups too long. That is a coaching choice. I'll say this. I'm also a, Michigan basketball fan and obviously college and the NBA are two different sports. But one thing I've noticed is Michigan has struggled to to get offensive flow and they've been rotating a lot more and that has the opposite impact. It can prevent continuity. And I've seen that with other teams. I think we saw that a lot. Uh, We saw that at times with other coaches on the Knicks. Um, So I I get why he does it. I get that there's a principle there uh, and there is a trade-off between, you know, letting guys kind of get comfortable together versus um, you know, being able to find the quote unquote optimal lineup, but, um, but you know, when they're bleeding points going down 12, 14, um, and you know, it's eight minutes and there's clear the guys are starting to get tired or not playing with energy. That's when it starts to, to, um, to shape up. And I, I'm, I'm never been like one of the minutes guys where like, you can't play Randall 38 minutes. Um, it's more when you play them 10 to 12, sometimes 14, 16 minutes at a stretch that you um you know that that it, like burks played i think 42 minutes last night and i think he had multiple stretches of 14 15 minutes mm-hmm. where um at that point and burks had to play two ways right he's guarding either de rosen or levine on on defense and he's the point guard um that's where you're like you know you had derrick rose and emmanuel quickly um you know you can you can keep those guys a little bit more fresh um, and you know, people are gonna say, well, you're an NBA player, you know, these players are soft, blah, blah, blah. You can say all of that, right? But again, other teams are doing that, are are, are putting their guys in better positions, and um and they're they're succeeding as a result of it. Um, you know, the the Bulls, uh, you know, DeRozan played 38, Vooch played 33, Levine played 35, but they were they were subbed pretty frequently. Um and they were staggered. Um, and, you know, that's, and, and so I remember in the fourth quarter, uh, the Knicks tied, uh, Vooch came in, hit a three. Um, a couple of possessions later, DeRozan came in, um, hit a jump shot, right? Uh, and so that strategic rest, not so much in terms of total minutes, but when they're getting their rest and being able to to make sure they're fresh, that's something you'd like to see improve. As far as the players not being able to play for them, I haven't seen that as much. I think last year when you talk about... So first of all, last year they had some bad third quarters too. Um, But I think this is just a team that seems incapable of playing with energy until their backs are against the wall. Uh, They seem to get frustrated when things snowball. Yes. um, And then they revert to bad habits. But you've seen them start games on fire. um, And then you've seen them blow leads. You've seen them um, fall into big holes. And then they start playing with more energy and come back. Um, But it seems like last year, last year they all had something to prove. Like Randall, Randall, we know the kind of off season he had, he wanted to come back and show what he could do. Uh, Mitchell Robinson had been criticized and was playing for his payday. Um, You know, uh, you had some journeyman guys who were trying to stick. You had kind of this underdog chip on their shoulder mentality that was always there. This year, it's a little bit different this year. They expect to be good. Um, and I'm not saying they're not hungry, but they have stretches where they kind of, they, they pick their foot off the gas or they play with less purpose. Uh, and I think that's even more of an issue than, um, than the new faces and all of that. And, um, and again, I, I come back to Fournier, right? Because that he's, he's a vet and he's gotten paid. He's a good veteran player. Um, and so he also, he, he has a tendency to float in and out of games. And when he's engaged, it energizes the entire team. But he, you know, when he's not, it's usually a sign that there's ISO. How much is he the cause and the effect of that? How much is that building off of each other? I don't know. There does seem to be sometimes frustration among guys where uh, I think there was one play late where Mitchell Robinson was late closing out on, on Vooch and Fournier had an opportunity to rotate over. But you know, you get so tired of covering up for mistakes that you don't do that. Those are things that weren't happening last year. Um and um and I don't know if that's more frequent subbing, but that is a quality of this personnel that results from being feeling like a more established team than the chip on the shoulder, fight for every two chin fight for every fight tooth and nail for every inch mm-hmm. and combine those two. Um that uh, for 48 minutes that we're not quite seeing this year. Uh, maybe that's the curse of having more talent. But, um, but as far as how much of that is on Tibbs, um, I, I don't think it is as much. Um, but I think he could do more to keep starters fresh with rotations. I think there can be more consequences for some of the vets. If Fournier is dogging it, put Burks in or, or Rose or, or those guys in. Um, but, um, but as far as actually the players responding to Tibbs, I don't think that's as much of an issue as I think it might have been in you know, Minnesota, for example.
1: I, like I think from what
0: we've we've know about this yeah. team, they're all gym addicts. Um, you know, we don't have any guys that dog it. They have veteran leadership. Uh, you know, I think in Minnesota, you know, there were you know what the, this what a lot of people are saying was the, the younger guys don't really like how he grades them. If there's one thing the younger guys in the Knicks have, Emmanuel quickly, RJ Barrett are known as 99th percentile work ethic guys. Um, so, I, I don't see those issues popping up again so much as this is a Knicks team that is adjusting to um, being more of an established team than an underdog. And as a result, not being able to manufacture the kind of intensity they need for 48 minutes. And I mean, at some point, like they're not kids. So, Tibbs can yell and scream all he wants, but it yeah. has to come from within.
1: That's yeah, I mean. yeah, yeah. Very true. Very true. Uh, One last question on Chicago. Um, The Knicks and Bulls have played three games this year. Um, They're separated over those three games by a total of nine points. The Knicks won the first one. The Bulls have won the last two. Um, Chicago is second right now in the standings. It's very early, obviously, but Chicago is second. The Knicks are tenth. Are the Bulls, do you think, are they just better Then the Knicks, I thought when the season started, this was a a comparable team. This was a team that you might see a 4-5 or matchup between the Knicks and the Bulls or maybe something in the play-in tournament. And the two teams have different personnel and different styles, but are like relatively in the same ballpark. And they've played close games, and it's early, but do you think, would you add Chicago to the list now of Eastern teams that are just, like, maybe not, maybe you wouldn't put them with Milwaukee and, and Brooklyn, but... Are they just clearly better than the Knicks?
0: Uh, I'm gonna say no. Um, the Knicks outplayed them for three quarters yesterday, yesterday. I know that's that's not to make an excuse. That's not to say that the Bulls didn't deserve to win the game. And that's not to say that they don't have absolute advantages over the Knicks. Um, but all three games have been very close. The Knicks controlled the first game of the season uh, for a lot of it. They're up ten late before they they you know nearly blew it um both the other games have come down to the wire and have come down to um the bulls having more shot making um and but the bulls played the bulls played with all three of their stars they were missing kobe white but that was the bulls at full strength Nick's did not have rj barrett um which you know he you know he, he he makes a difference particularly on perimeter defense we saw in the first game that he was the guy that defended derozan on the potential game-winning shot and forced an air ball um, the Knicks lost Taj early. Didn't have Nerlens Noel. Didn't have Jericho Sims. So that's not to make excuses. That's to say that I, there's nothing in those games when we played them that showed me that the, the the Bulls were head and shoulders above the Knicks. Where their clear advantages seem to be, uh, where the Bulls have, I'll talk about where the Bulls have advantages and where the Knicks have advantages. The Bulls, the biggest thing is they have three guys. They have three pretty elite offensive players, right? Um, two of them who can create their own shot. Uh, Derozan has um, Derozan is shooting the ball like Kevin Durant from mid range. Um, I, I will see if that comes down a bit because that's significantly above his career average, or even what he shot last year and the year before. But I think what's even more impressive on that is he's improved as a passer so much that he can, you know, you can't just key in on that. Uh, you know, like what teams used to do with Melo at sometimes or even Randall. Like he he's manipulating defenses. He's a very advanced passer now. Uh, so they have three guys, and late in games, it seems like the Knicks can never get a stop against them. Yep. The other thing is that they this is a team that does play hard for 48 minutes. Um, even when the Knicks came back last year today, I didn't think it was Chicago taking their foot off the gas. Uh, and they've they've complemented their stars with guys like Alex Caruso and Lonzo. I mean, Alex Caruso was everywhere last night. I think he had the most Caruso stat line. He had 6 points, 6 assists, 6 rebounds, four three steals.
1: steals. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that.
0: Um and then you have Lonzo plays very hard uh, and then I think their stars Levine has Levine is a legitimate plus on defense this year which is something I would have never said about him in his career. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they're able to hide DeRozan pretty well because everyone plays hard and tenacious and Vucevic has also improved his defense. He'll never be a rim protector, but he generally is in the right spot and he gets his hands on some balls by using his size. Um, so those are the two big differences right now, and that's why they're they're four games ahead of the Knicks, I think. But there is a cost to that. As we saw with the Knicks last year, sometimes in the regular season, playing hard means getting away with things you don't necessarily get away with in the playoffs. And the Bulls have... Their Bulls' defense has been much better than I've expected. They didn't really have a room protector. And I thought that would matter more than having Caruso and Lonzo on the perimeter. Um, But the thing is, what the Knicks were able to exploit is that Chicago struggles to... um, struggles to defend without fouling uh they want to get a lot of turnovers yeah. uh, they know they're undersized so they're going to make up for that with playing physically and there were i mean you mentioned breen before but breen there were multiple times where uh, nick would get mauled and the, the refs wouldn't call a foul and even green was just dumbfounded that wasn't a foul um and i think it's a little bit like the the peak Seattle Seahawks defense where, you know, I think there was a quote, I don't know if it was directly from Pete Carroll, but essentially they were characterized by saying, you know, they're not going to call pass interference on every play. (laughs) So you can, you can get handsy and take your chances. And, um, you know, it it just, they're not going to do that. It's just a a human thing. Right. And that's what it seems like the bulls do. And that's not to take away from them. Um, it's admirable to make that kind of a scrappy effort work. Um, but it is a thing, and it's a thing that I think teams can exploit in the playoffs. And if we, the Knicks went to seven games with them, I think the Knicks would be able to exploit that. And the Bulls like to defend Randall the way the Hawks do, but they don't have the personnel to do that. I think he's had pretty good games every time we've played yeah, them.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, And I wouldn't expect to see him have the kind of struggles that he had last year. And the Knicks are routinely putting five offensive threats on the floor, uh, particularly when Nerlens Noel isn't out there. Um, so no, I, I don't think the the Bulls have are head and shoulders above the Knicks in a. I think a seven game series probably goes seven games. Um, I think a lot of people would say because they have Levine and DeRozan, that's the that's the bigger uh, You know, that's the biggest difference. But I think if the Knicks play hard, but I think the, the bigger thing that's concerning is the intensity that Chicago is able to bring for forty eight minutes. Um, because that means that they're not going to have the lapses that top heavy teams normally have, and then you can give it to your stars to close. But again, that intensity comes with certain shortcomings, namely that they're undersized. And I think a team can exploit that in the playoffs. And, um, not only do I think the Knicks would have close to a 50% chance of winning a series, um, which to me puts them in the same tier, but I also think the Knicks match up better with a team like, um, with Milwaukee than Chicago, um, because I I don't know what Chicago is going to do with Giannis. Um, What does anyone do with Giannis? That's not to say the Knicks can defend him, but they have some options. Um, Chicago may match up better with a team like Brooklyn. Although the the flip side of that is the the Knicks can kind of go rock when these teams go scissors because of Julius Randle, And that's what they've been successful against both Brooklyn and Chicago with Chicago is going to try to beat Brooklyn at their own game. Um, and at that point, it's just, would you rather have Durant and Harden or Levine and DeRozan? Uh, I do think Vooch can cause some problems for Brooklyn, but, you know, they'll get Nicholas Claxton back. Um, they've showed the ability also to play small. So um, so even then, I, I, I think that I would put the Bulls in the same tier. Um, but what worries me and what impresses me more about the Bulls compared to the Knicks is... Um, is their ability to bring intensity for forty eight minutes. But having said that, they do like when they have all three of their guys, like that Levine Bucicich pick and roll, is incredibly tough to defend. Um, you know, I think the Knicks could probably go opt to go small later, but then we'll see Bucicich may start punishing them in the post. He's still capable of that. But you saw there, and you know, you can clip and you can say, you know, Randall is late getting out to help, or that, you know, like. But it's just, I mean, the option, the other options are you have Levine coming downhill um so they are very tough to defend and they have a bread and butter play that um, they have a bread and butter play they can go to against pretty much any team but specifically against that team the, the Knicks do too right I think they don't really have an answer for Julius Randle um and if the Knicks execute on offense they're capable of scoring too so I, I see them as pretty evenly matched still
1: it's very sad to me that Chicago lost Patrick Williams for the year because to have him available particularly when they get to the playoffs with some of the matchups they, they get would get into would be really really interesting to see because he was really um, showing some impressive signs as a as a four for them
0: yeah um, and that would complement a lot of their aggressive perimeter players so well because mm-hmm. um, you know you' you're you're trying to get into the paint but then if they can funnel them to someone like Patrick Williams that gives them another another uh, dimension to their defense.
1: I'm glad you mentioned Caruso and his Antichrist stat line because I love guy. Like if you look at his box score last night, he shot two of seven. He does a little bit of everything. He's plus twenty one in a game where nobody else, even on Chicago, was like in double digits. Like he is. And he did
0: it in thirty minutes, right? So this
1: isn't just yeah, some statistical in, His hands are incredible. And what I was really struck by with Caruso in all. You know, full disclosure, I have been fascinated by Alex Caruso since I first saw him because I think the first game, I, I think the first time I took note of him was just him dunking on somebody, and like I, I'd never seen him play, I'd never heard of him. This was years ago. I've really been interested in his career as he's come along, and I was really struck last night, not just by.
0: I mean, he had a dunk last night too. He had a
1: beautiful alley that he finished. He is a devastating perimeter defender, but also the number of times, particularly in the first quarter, when someone would pass the ball, you know, to Caruso, kind of as, as they were swinging it, and he would these make these one-handed whip passes, not to who was open, but to the guy that was going to be open after the rotation went to A. So like. Instead of flipping it to A and having them swing it to B and B gets a decent shot, Caruso would immediately whip it to B, and the defender wasn't quite ready to get it. I was really, really impressed with his passing. Um he's a hell of a player.
0: Yeah. Um I, I think it's it's tough to argue against that. And I, I think that um, you know, those kind of players because he, he he's very multidimensional in a way that a lot of those kinds of players aren't, you know, hustle players. Mm-hmm. Um, because to your point, he has legitimate offensive skills, right? Um, you know, if you think about the type of player he is, um, he's not really a Tony Bradley or Avery Bradley type who are, you know, one-dimensional guys. Uh, he's from, like, the Ricky Rubio family tree, shades of Marcus Smart, right? Uh, now, Marcus Smart is much more physically gifted than than Alex Crusoe. Ricky Rubio is a much more skilled ball handler. Um, but yeah the way he passes the ball the way he knows that he can't really get to the rim but he can still threaten defenses um, you could probably put Tj McConnell in that in that group mm. as well although Caruso is a more effective shooter like you know he's not pulling up from three a ton but he's very efficient and he's not really a guy you want to leave wide open no. um yeah I mean he he's very annoying he's the kind of player you hate playing against um but you know at this point th- there you know we tend to we tend to, you know, give backhanded praise to those kind of players and those kind of things. Um, you know, guys like TJ McConnell, you know, he's a scrappy guy. Then you have all of the the players normally used for white players, the, the yes. attributes normally used for white players. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Caruso has tr- transcended that even if, you know, there's similarities because he legitimately has the ability to threaten defenses. And he's not just, he's not just a try hard. He has a lot of those try hard plays. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, but he's physically an NBA player. He has the motor. Uh. And and is just a, a very skilled and intelligent passer. Um. And that's a legitimate. It's not just an energy guy. It's not just a guy who gives the Bulls a different dimension. It, it's a plus on any team. Uh, I think you could legitimately. He would add a lot of value on any team. Um. And um. And yeah, he was a big reason they won less. Let's not kid ourselves. Um. You know, he was getting rebounds. He was. You know, snuffing out actions. He was forcing the Knicks to 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 make extra passes, make extra plays, um, take longer to secure rebounds. Um, that that's a huge huge difference. And then he was he rarely made the wrong play on offense. And you know, he was punishing the Knicks for mistakes. So
1: that dude would be a god if he was a Nick. The crowd would eat that guy up if he was.
0: A we Knick. had we had a guy similar to that. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I don't think he's quite the motor of, of Alex Caruso, but Frank did give the Knicks that dimension. There's a reason why a lot of people like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think Caruso's probably a little bit more dangerous off the dribble uh, than Frank, at least as a passer. Yes. Um, yes. But uh, but that's you know, that's the kind of player that um, that adds unseen value and, and is underrated by guys who are obsessed with, you know, one on one shot creation.
1: Do you think the Lakers regret yet? choosing Westbrook when they could have had Caruso and DeRozan? Uh,
0: no, I, I don't think that's the case. Um, <laughs> I, I think um, I actually don't hate the Westbrook move as much as a lot of people do. Um, I think when LeBron gets healthy, they'll stagger him and AD more. Um, I think of late Westbrook has, has found more success. I think the reality was um, they were going to be hot, top heavy, no matter what. Yeah. Um, and the question was, do you run it back with AD and West and they were gonna be top heavy no matter what. So the question was, do you run it back with AD and LeBron bring back Caruso, um, and KCP guys who fit well around them, especially in the championship run, or there's multiple things, right? Do you double down on being top heavy? And also, uh, you, you to I mean, you're lucky to get 60, 65 games from Anthony Davis and LeBron at this point. Um, so you might as well give yourself, you, they ended up with the seven seed last year. That was the biggest loss, right? So if they can tread water um, while guys are getting load days or those kind of things, that was probably the bigger consideration to them. And I can't really second guess that uh, because they're in a different spot than a team like the bulls, right? Which is mm-hmm. young stars in their prime who probably can play a lot. Um, that's where you want to add those scrappy role player guys, Um and, and the, 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 Bulls, the Bulls can get 70 games, 75, 80 games out of Zach Levine. They can get that out of, out of uh, you know, Vooch has been injured, but, you know, he's, he's not, like, it's, you wouldn't expect him to really have recurring injury issues. Mm-hmm. DeRozan for the most part, has been healthy. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a different fit. Um, and um, But, I mean, if the Lakers could have brought Caruso back on a reasonable deal, maybe they could have. Maybe they still could have done that even after getting Westbrook. Uh, I think they would have loved to do that, and um, I'm sure they 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 did not feel like Caruso was expendable so much as they needed um, another shot creator for when LeBron was hurt.
1: Last question I have for you revolves around tomorrow's game, which is a 1 p.m. Uh, Saturday matinee. Denver comes to New York with reigning MVP Nikola Jokic. But it's not a Denver team that we're used to seeing the last couple of years. Um, they're missing Michael. Michael Porter Jr. will be out the rest of the year after his third back surgery. Uh, Jamal Murray is out, possibly at least till late in the regular season. I don't. I haven't seen an update on when they expect him back, but he's still recovering from the, the ACL last year. The Nuggets have lost seven of their last eight games. So part of me thinks, aha, here is a chance for the Knicks to get a win. That would normally be a very difficult one against this depleted, stumbling Nuggets team. Part of me is terrified that a Denver team that has lost seven of eight is not going to lose eight of nine. Um, What are your thoughts on on what Denver brings and what the Knicks um, will be dealing with tomorrow?
0: Yeah, so I'll add, inter- in addition to Murray and Michael Porter Jr., um, the Nuggets have a really fun rookie who I really wanted the Knicks to draft. Yes. I'm very happy we took Grimes. But I love Bones Highland. Uh, and I was particularly looking forward to this matchup because his game is extremely reminiscent of Emmanuel Quickly. Uh, they both love to pull-up. I actually think Bones is a little bit better at getting all the way to the rim. He's a little longer. Um uh, whereas I think quickly is a little more advanced as a passer uh, and more disciplined as a defender, but I really wanted to see that. So I'm bummed. I don't get to see that. Um, but I'm never going to take the nuggets lightly um, to put it, to put it fr- frankly. Um, the Knicks have lost the last seven games. They've played the nuggets. The last time the Knicks beat the nuggets um, it was with uh, Emmanuel Moutier getting 20 minutes for the nuggets and scoring 15 points. Uh, And the Knicks were led by KP. Uh, I'm pretty sure I was at this game. Um, It was a great battle between KP and Jokic. KP put up 38 points. Um, Jokic had 28. Um, So the Knicks, it's been a while. Uh, And last year, the Knicks were competitive in nearly every game they played, even against top competition. But that was emphatically not the case against the Nuggets, uh, where they lost by 16 points and 25 points and I remember one of those games, I believe the one in Denver. I think the Knicks went down 34 to 12 pretty early. Yeah. And they yeah. were just massacred by Jokic. Yeah. Um, not having Murray helps in that regard, but they still have, you know, Monty Morris is a pretty dynamic player. Uh, he's the kind of offensive guard like Brogdon or Caruso who can cause the Knicks some problems with his ability to play methodically and intelligently and exploit late rotations. Um, And we just saw what happened when the Knicks faced a great stretch five. And uh, no disrespect to Vucevic, but this is another caliber of player who can offer similar shooting ability, but can do a lot more off the dribble. Uh, How the Knicks defend Jokic is going to be very interesting to me. Um, I hope there's a heavy dose of Taj Gibson. I personally like him a lot more in that matchup than Mitchell Robinson. Um, I I think they'll put Randall on Jokic a little bit too, um, because he's good at defending the post um but he'll have i mean jokic moves well without the ball too um but he likes i mean they what given what jokic likes to do i think you'll see a heavy dose of taj and randall on him it's a game the knicks are capable of winning but it's also a game where the other team will have the best player on the floor at a position that's given the knicks a lot of problems um hopefully they come in with a chip on their shoulder after last night but um but um you know they're capable of winning that game but i'm certainly not going to take that for granted and i think the nuggets one win vo- in the last few games, was against a pretty good team. Um, if I look back at their schedule, because I remember seeing that, and um, yeah, they they beat the Heat. Um, yes. And if you and if you look at the games that they've lost, right? So they did lose to the Magic last night, um, which
1: is, is every good. great team loses to the Magic at some point.
0: Looks like it. Um, <laughs> but at least that's a good sign for the next right. But um, they beat the Heat. Uh, they lost the Giannis, they lost the Blazers, they lost the Suns. They were humiliated by the Suns, uh, but the Suns had just been hot. Lost the Bulls, lost the Sixers, lost the Mavs. Um, besides maybe the Blazers, the Magic and maybe the Blazers, those are all pretty, those are all contenders, right, At um, some level. So um, even the Sixers, who you know, they're still a pretty competitive team without Simmons. So... Um, I think it just like the Knicks, they've been going through a tough patch and they're going to be hungry, too. As a result, this is this is a team that has pride. This is a team that's that's been at the top of the Western Conference and has a MVP candidate. So they're going to come out looking like that. Beyond that, um, this is the start of an important stretch. We had this five game stretch, which a lot of people had marked and you probably would group Denver in there. But we're closing out six games, let's say, against all title contenders or sorry, all, all playoff high-level playoff teams right Mm -hmm. um you know so atlanta lakers um the uh chicago brooklyn and um and the suns right so if you told me we're going to go two and three in that stretch and the losses would be chicago brooklyn and the suns i would probably have taken that uh, without knowing how the games turned out because those are clearly the best three teams we faced Mm -hmm. and those three teams are all at the top of their respective conferences um Phoenix and Brooklyn may very well be the the NBA finals matchup um and then if you told me that they would beat Atlanta which was probably more of a 50 50 game um given Atlanta has been not as strong as they were at the end of last year uh and then they would take care of business against the Lakers and I call it that because the Lakers without LeBron have been are not are not unbeatable I would have I would have taken that uh so this is the close of that search, and then if you look at their next 19 games it's a lot of winnable games, uh, so I'll just read them down. So you get Denver on Saturday, then they get um, they get three days rest or two two full days of rest. Then they go to San Antonio, Indiana, and Toronto for a road trip next week. Uh, I, I those are all three winnable games. Uh, then they get Milwaukee and Golden State at home, um, which I haven't played well, and those are two teams that are head and shoulders probably above the Knicks right now, uh, and offer obviously. Know, two of the best players in the NBA and Giannis and Curry. Uh, we'll see if Clay's back for that. Mm-hmm. But then again, they have Houston, Boston, Detroit, um, Washington, Atlanta, Minnesota, Detroit, Oklahoma City, Toronto, Indiana, Boston twice, and San Antonio. Uh, you know, Maybe I'm not giving Washington enough credit there, but there's no one really who's head and shoulders above the Knicks. There's a few tough games and a few games in the, the Knicks wheelhouse but um, these next 19 games are are a really important stretch because they you know there's probably only two really likely losses in the and in golden state and a bunch of games that they should have at least equal odds of winning and if they if they mire through that at somewhere around 500 that would be a concerning sign if they can you know get something like 14 and 5 13 and 6 that would be encouraging um, for their, for, and, and, and that's probably, this stretch could be the difference between play-in and play-off or, or maybe even not making play-in um, because that's where the Knicks are. They're, they're in 10th place. And, you know, we can write off the last few games and say, um, yeah, they've started 11 and 11, right? So um, there's reason to believe they're better than that um, because they've played a tough schedule so far and they've had a couple of fluky losses. Uh, and then there's reason to believe they're worse than that. Um, and I think this next stretch will tell us, um, tell us what they are and, you know, if they can make a run. So yeah, if they, if they can hold serve for the most part, finish with 12, 13 wins in the next 19, uh, that would be like, okay, they're going to be something like last year in terms of where they finish, mm-hmm. uh, you know, fighting for the, to get into the, the top six and if they go on a run. That's where you start to think to back towards where we were when they were five and one and thinking, okay, maybe this is a team that can that can make some noise and, and, and even maybe win a playoff series.
1: Stacy Patton, I want to thank you for reminding me of Denver and Phoenix's just domination of the Knicks last season. I also want to thank you, though, for reminding me of that very brief window in time many years ago where I would argue with people that Porzingis was actually better than Jokic. There was this <laughs> very small window where I thought it was a credible point, and then it wasn't. But I, I was reminded of that time when you mentioned the the last time that the Knicks beat them. So,
0: well, I mean, I, I remember early in his career, and this was when Porzingis was probably more, had a little more notoriety than, than Jokic. Yeah. And Jokic gave him 41. And this was before KP put on some weight and Jokic just bullied him. And then he came back the next year and he had that 38 game. And that's like, well, now KP can fight back. And then
1: it was like, no, he really
0: can't. <laughs> Very
1: good. All right, uh, that's it for this episode. Um, thank you for hanging out with us, and check out the Knicks Saturday at 1 p.m. against Denver. Um, hopefully we will talk to everyone again before their next game, which will be Tuesday at San Antonio. So take care, everybody. We will see you in time.